You're listening to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm your host, Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Specht. So, Derek, uh, a couple episodes ago, we were talking about um, a tensile tent. Yes, tensile stingray. Yeah, you were were checking one out, and you thought it was really cool, Mm -hmm. so you decided you'd order one. So, it came in the mail. It did. It, uh, It arrived Monday, and... I wasn't going to set it up right away, but then I just got too excited. I had to set it up. Kids at Christmas. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, I was out there with my two kids and, uh, they more or less, more or less helped me set it up. And, uh, so I, I sort of referred to the directions, but it was really intuitive how you, like I'd done a lot of reading before I got it. So I had a really good idea how to set it up. I lost, watched a couple YouTube videos, but, uh, it set up really easily. I have some pretty big trees in my backyard, so uh, I did have the three points of connection. So it went together really well. I was, uh, wasn't too sure about it just because it was a first go at it, but uh, once you tensioned it properly, and boy, you have to put a lot of tension on it, and they say tighten the, uh, the cam straps as tight as you can possibly get them, which is what I did. And once they were tight enough, it uh, it uh, it was it was really good. It held my weight. I had both me and my two kids in there, and it was fun. It was like a trampoline for them. I was bouncing them around, but uh, it's plenty big. It was uh, I was I'm really pleased with how easy it went up. With uh, it looks like it has some really decent quality. We'll know once I get out camping with it. But uh, like I said, it's a, it's a nice tent. I think I showed you the pictures of it. Yep. So uh, the tent itself is uh, it's. It's pretty heavy with, there's like, a, it's a three-point contact hammock tent. So all three points has a ratchet strap. And so with all, everything included with a nice uh, ripstop bag and everything that uh, comes in, it's about 18 pounds. Wow. But you can say, yeah, it's it's pretty heavy, but you can save six pounds by leaving two of the ratchet straps at home. Once you get used to how it sets up, you can uh, leave two of the ratchets home, save six pounds, and you're only tensioning it on one ratchet. So you you tie it off with your two points without the ratchet and pre-tension those. And then you go off with a third ratchet and you tension the whole thing up with that third ratchet strap. So once you get good enough at it, that, that's I haven't tried it that way myself, but they say, and the reviews that I saw, it says it works pretty well and you save a lot of weight. So then it's only about 12 pounds with, uh, with leaving two of the ratchets at home. The, uh, the max load of the tent is 880 pounds, which is pretty good. It's That's pretty high, what I, you know, as far as a, a hammock goes, right? Yeah. Uh, it's uh, when you're inside, and so you have the three points of contact on three trees, then there's an internal webbing system that separates it into three separate hammocks. So you have a side entry and a bottom entry. The bottom entry goes up between the three hammocks. If you go to the website, it's, you may not be able to, see visually what I'm describing but uh, it does hold three adults or two adults and two kids me and my wife are in there with both our kids it's a three-year-old and a six-year-old so they uh, they took one side and uh, me and my wife took the other two sides it easily held our weight we were bouncing and jumping inside it it was really nice the kids thought it was a blast so it's gonna be sort of like a backwards uh, hammock for them uh, well trampoline it's it's neat to hear that because when you first described that you were getting this tent, and they didn't really, you couldn't really see it from the website, um, I was kind of curious how all f- all of you were going to sleep in it and not roll towards the center yes. and hit each other. But you're saying it's divided into sections sort it of is. thing. So uh, off of each three point, coming into a triangle in the middle is a internal... Uh, truss system like with uh, seat belt material so what this does is it creates uh, three individual hammock pockets along the three sides so your head and feet would be pointing at you know two of the three-point suspension lines and uh, it, you know if you if you look on the website it's easier to understand so basically if you get three people in there and each takes a section yeah the three of you would form a triangle exactly right. head to toe triangle right. exactly Right. Well, and that's cool. That's cool. That's, that's like I say, I was trying to think, well, how are you going to do this and not roll towards each other? Exactly. Yeah. Which, you know, I was like, <laughs> I may like you as a canoe tripping buddy, <laughs> but I don't like you on top of me in my sleeping yes. bag. And we, uh, with, with the proper tension on it, if you tension it out to the max, it, uh, you don't get very much movement 
within the hammock itself. There is a little bit, obviously. It's like, you know, they describe it as, uh, if you ask, one of the questions was how much movement is there? And they say, well, it's like a, a well-filled waterbed. You're going to have a little bit of movement, of course, because it's a hammock, right? And uh, so the, with us now, with getting in and out of it, there's a side entry and there's also a bottom entry. So obviously you're going to have to climb over somebody if there's if you're going through the side entry. But if everybody uses the bottom entry, then you're not really climbing over anybody. And for that case, then obviously you're going to... They recommend you hang it, sling it at a good, uh, like, say, chest level. So depending on how tall you are. But they say about four to five feet off the ground, fully tensioned. And then you can just slip in and out through the uh, middle door. And it's just zippered shut, right? Right. And that sounds cool. They don't recommend going to too great a heights because of the obviously the danger of injuring yourself. But you can also get a rope ladder. And if you want to put it up a little bit higher, there's a rope ladder you can attach to it so you can climb up into it. That might also be good for the little kids that aren't four or five feet tall. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the tent part itself. So I've described the, the hammock and the truss and the hanging system. But the tent itself, it's the whole top of it is a is a bug fly, and you have uh, two uh, aluminum poles that go from the entry, side entry door to the one of the points, and so you get two peaks sort of, and then the uh, the fly goes over that, and the fly attaches itself to the three points of uh, the three points. How hard was it to put the fly on? It w it was really easy. I attached one point, grabbed another, and walked around to the uh, another point, and just dragged it across. It was, uh, it was, I was looking at it saying, how do I do this? But once I, I just grabbed one of the points and just walked over and it just spread itself out. It was really easy to attach the fly. So just like a regular tent then. Yeah, absolutely. Off the ground. So if, yeah, if you can imagine if you just laid on the ground and set up like a tent, there's your tent. Right. But it's not designed to be laid on the ground because the, uh, the bottom's not, uh, waterproof, not like a normal, uh, tent that you, you could put on the ground and, uh, uh, you know, there's that 10,000 yeah. whatever. Yeah, waterproofness that they rate them at, like, so it's uh, it, it's a decent tent. I like it. I'm I'm excited to try it out. It's uh, if you go to the website, you're gonna see some pretty shocking prices for it. But I did get a refurbished model on clearance, so I got like I think it was like forty five percent off or something like that. So I got one of the used models that was returned and refurbished. I didn't really get a choice of fly color, so I I the one that came with it was orange. And basically, I told them I'll take any color except the camouflage. Because <laughs> you'd never find it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I had requested nicely to get the gray cover, but uh, I didn't get that. I got the orange. And the orange is a decent orange color. It's, it stands out. So I guess if you're lost in the woods, the planes will find you. <laughs> <laughs> so when it showed up in the mail, your wife didn't uh, butcher you on the spot. No, well, she didn't see it until it was set up. So I made sure it was set up before she saw it. So she got excited about it and looked at it. She says, oh, that's that's really nice. She was very, very excited. She never asked me how much I paid for it, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad she doesn't listen to our show. <laughs> <laughs> You're just lucky she doesn't. But it actually wasn't that bad. It was uh, it was only about five hundred bucks. So it's it's that, I thought that was a decent enough price for what I was getting. And as an experience, I've been looking at this thing for almost two years now. I've been saying, oh, I really want to try this thing out because I do like uh, my camping. My current camping method is uh, mostly a Hennessy hammock, unless I'm with the family. I just I'm getting older. I can tend not to like sleeping on the ground anymore. And my thermorests are getting thicker and thicker every year. I buy a thicker and more downy filled one. So. Uh, the hammocks work really well for me. It, uh, it's nicer on my back as I'm getting older. <laughs> Old guy. <laughs> well, you know what? And this is getting your kids into the, the hammock sort of mentality as well, by the sounds of it. Absolutely, yeah. Well, they do like hammocks. We always hang a hammock in the backyard every year, and they like swinging off it. So it's uh, it's one of these things that it's going to be interesting. And what's also interesting and what I'm looking forward to this is the tent itself becomes your campsite rain fly. So if you're if it's a rainy day, you hang out underneath your tent. Yeah. So that that's a kind of added little bonus, right? Right, right. It does say it's a four-season tent. I question that because I've slept in uh, spring and fall in a hammock tent and it's brutally cold unless you have insulation. Uh, so it, you're not going to get that much insulation out of this tent. It's because a, the wind whips out underneath it, right? It takes all yeah. your heat away. Yeah. So if it's a four-season, you're going to have to put some serious... Um, 
thermorestless stuff and insulation yeah. under you. And what they do say for uh, shoulder seasons, and if you use it in winter, which I wouldn't, is uh, you can get their uh, another. It, it's a like an under hammock thing. It's a uh, just a mesh that you can buy. It's like it's fairly expensive, but you, they say just throw a, a, your clothing and stuff between the t the under hammock and the tent hammock, and so it creates that thermal barrier with whatever clothes you got. Right. And the one I have the uh, the fly on each side there there's a point on the fly. You can tie these three points together, and it does create a second layer that you could throw whatever insulating material. Uh, leaves or extra spare clothes and it does create an insulating uh insulating air block right so it uh it's it's going to be interesting as i try it out this year different methods and how i can use it and a little bit of experience in using it but if you look online if you look at youtube tent style t-e-n-t-s-i-l-e -E. so uh, go to the website or just go to YouTube and there, there's quite a few videos about how they're set up and you can stack them. Like if you have multiple tents you can, and three strong trees, you can like make a tent hammock condo out of these things, right? So if you look <laughs> on- any flat in the basement. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, so, so at first blush, you like this tent? At first blush, when I first set it up, I was like, oh, I questioned it. But after I had it tensioned properly and Tension properly was the key thing. You need the tension correct. Right. And But once it was tensioned properly, it's like, I do like this. Well, look forward to hearing uh, from you after your first trip with it. You are listening to Paddling Adventures Radio on Reno Viola Outdoors. Do you enjoy getting on the water with a paddle in your hand? If so, this show's for you. Listen to Paddling Adventures Radio every Wednesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m., and see what's happening in the world of paddle sports. Paddling Adventures Radio. Whether you're close to home or far away, grab a paddle and get on the water. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka, and Halliburton. I stumbled across the Ontario Turtle Conservation Center's website. I uh, started reading about it because this is the time of year when people start heading out on their their canoe trips and their kayaking trips and they're traveling, uh, driving to their, their, their put in or even while they're out there. This is when you're going to see the turtles, uh, especially snapping turtles. We've all seen the snapping turtles on the roads and the highways and some not in the best of shapes and others tootling across to get to the other side. <laughs> so what I found out on here is just, they have a little page here just telling you to drive carefully. Um, it says they want you to report the sightings of turtles. They say Ontario's reptiles and amphibians are becoming increasingly rare. Three quarters, that's 18 out of 24 of Ontario's reptile species are listed as species at risk. One of the most important things you can do to help conserve these species is to report observations of these animals to monitoring programs such as the Ontario Turtle Tally and the Ontario Reptile and Amphibian Atlas, uh, which I found kind of kind of cool. Now I knew the there was issues with the wood turtle, um, things like that. That if you see one, it's you know you're supposed to let, especially if we were in Algonquin, you let them know. Who do you, who do you let know? The what for the? So is there an easy way to like search because nobody's going to remember any link or any phone number. So yeah, they, they just tell you on the on the Ontario Turtle Conservation Center page, there's links yeah. to there, to the Ontario Reptile and Amphibian Atlas and the Ontario Turtle Tally. Those are two places okay. that you can report your sightings. Now, in Algonquin, like I say, I think it's the wood turtle. You, you just right at the uh, the gates, you can, you can go in and report that you've seen them, right? Because they're a species at risk and they're they're quite hard to find. But one of the things when we're driving, 
is you've seen the, the turtles, especially the snapping turtles. They have a section here on how to help turtles across the street or the highway, as it were. So always be sure of your own safety before stopping to help a turtle, which is common sense. You want to gently move the turtle in the direction it's going. Now they say she because they say at this time of year it's mostly females trying to cross over to a spot where they can lay their eggs. Oh, okay, so they're they're looking for leg egg, egg laying sites. Yes. Uh, do not handle the turtle more than is necessary. And once you have moved it across the road or street, retreat to a respectful distance if you wish to continue observing it. So don't stress it out by hanging right, right beside mm -hmm. it sort of thing, right? Most turtles can be picked up carefully with two hands, but careful helping a snapping turtle across the road, which is, like I say, you, you, they got teeth there, or not teeth, uh, a mouth on them. That's gonna, yes, and a long neck. It can yeah. reach around. Have you ever picked up a turtle and helped across the road? I have. Um, the snappers, which they don't mention here, but uh, sometimes if you're not careful, they will, uh, let's just say, have a pee. I picked, I picked up one helping at a crossroad near work one day, and uh, what I found and I was disgusted by is that there was a green slime on the underside of the shell when I picked it up. I, it felt gooey and wet, but I didn't really think much of it. When I put it into the swamp on the other side of the road, I looked at my hands, and it was, I, I'm pretty sure it was turtle grab. <laughs> and it <laughs> reeked. I told you. It reeked, and I had nothing yeah. to carry wipe it off on, so I'm like rubbing my hands in the mud on the side of the ditch. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> So there's something to be aware of. Not only do they bite you, but they poo on you. Well, they say how to handle a snapping turtle. An uninjured snapper can be coaxed across the street using a shovel. <laughs> <laughs> gently. I, I assume yeah. they want you to do it gently. <laughs> or a board. I guess or, which I found a bit odd, allowing it to bite a long stick and then pulling it across the road. Well, that makes sense, I guess. Well, yeah, but... Because <laughs> it'll, it'll snap onto the stick and you just got to drag it. You just got to drag it. If you must pick up a snapper by hand, do so by sliding fingers behind the turtle's hind legs. Now, most people, they right in front of the legs, right? Halfway up the shell yeah. sort of deal. But I guess they can reach that back that far? So, yeah. Well, and that's exactly it. They can, they can reach the midpoint of its shell. Wow, that's a long neck. Yeah, so don't pick it up above the midpoint of the shell or you're probably going to lose a finger. Or wear leather gloves or something. Yeah. Never pick up a turtle by the tail. You may damage its spine. Yes, yes. Um, you may also slide one hand under the turtle's belly to grab a hold of the plastron, which is the belly shell. Okay. Uh, snappers are very strong and will squirm and thrash their hind legs, making it difficult to hold on. So once you got a hold of it, take it to the other side of the road, put it down gently, and back off. Mm -hmm. um, but you know what? On a busy highway or something like that, you really got to watch out for traffic and, and everything. Uh, you know, it's it's <laughs> it's great to save the turtle, but if you're not paying attention to traffic, yes, things yes. are going to happen. They do have a visit our turtle drop-off page on the Ontario Turtle Up Conservation center page um, and tells you what to do if you find an injured turtle and they say you can drop off an injured turtle to the Kawartha Turtle Trauma Center which is a registered charity um, whose goal is to aid in the conservation of Ontario's native turtles. So if it's if it's recoverable they can you can the turtle can recuperate there before they release it back of the wild I assume. Right. Um, more than two thirds of the turtles brought to the Kawartha Turtle Trauma Center, or as they call it, the KTTC, uh, survive and are released back into the wild. Um, what's a percentage? Two thirds? Two thirds. That's, more than two thirds. That's pretty high. Yeah. So never care for an injured or sick wild animal yourself. No. Always take it to your nearest licensed wildlife rehabilitation center. It is for the best interest of the animals. Uh, if you're interested in becoming a wildlife custodian, you can contact the Ontario Wildlife Rehabilitation and Education Network to find out more about training opportunities. So check out the Ontario Turtle Conservation Centre. Um, again, just Google them on, on the, uh, 
the internet and you'll, they'll come right up. And it'll tell you a whole bunch of stuff about the turtles in Ontario, uh, what you can do about injured turtles. And again, it'll have the links to the Ontario Reptile and Amphibian Atlas and uh, as well as the Ontario Turtle Tally. And you can contact them and tell them what uh, turtles you've seen laying around and and uh, in the in the wilds and on your canoe trips and your, your kayaking uh, adventures. Yes, I did a quick Google search, report turtle sighting, and it comes up with uh, Ontario Turtle Tally. And uh, so the links are for Ontario Turtle Tally. It's uh, Toronto Zoo, Aquartha Turtle, uh, Ontario.ca, uh, RLCA.ca. So there's a whole bunch of different websites, uh, even Cloca. So th there's a whole bunch of different websites and organizations that that take care of the turtle tally in Ontario. So all you got to do is either Google turtle tally or Google report turtle sighting in Ontario. And it just comes up with all these links of how to do it and where to go and what to report and methods, right? I just did a quick search and it, it's very clear and straightforward if you do want to report a turtle sighting in Ontario. So it's springtime. The turtles are out. They're starting to make their way across the roads. And all we're saying is keep your eyes open and help these little fellas along. As well as the turtles that we're looking out for this time of year, there is something else that we should be watching out for when we're out uh, enjoying our paddling uh, in the spring. And that would be? That would be ticks. That would be ticks. We need to keep an eye out for ticks. Uh, a, a common thing that's starting to become more progressive, well, from our perspective as Canada, it's, it's spread throughout Europe and most of the U.S., and now it's starting to grow northwards into Canada. They say it's about 45 kilometers per year as the, as the zone travels north and it's only getting worse with global warming, is, is the spread of the black leg tick. And the black leg tick tends to carry a uh, Lyme disease. So it's a bacterial infection that when the tick gets on you, it uh, spreads to the human host. So it's, it's a concern that we need to keep an eye out for as... We do enjoy the outdoors when we're paddling and, and whatnot. Yeah, when you're out, uh, I mean, they, they hang out in, in the bushes and on a, and other animals, large animals, small animals. Um, but yeah, when you're out in the woods or you're going along a portage and there's the trees and the long grasses that you're going through on some of these portages, you really got to watch out. There was, I mean, there was a point where they didn't seem, you didn't hear much about ticks. No, you know, growing up, I don't, I, I mean, when I was 15, 16 out in Saskatchewan, I had one in the back of my leg. Uh, but I don't know people wise. I didn't know very many people that had them. It was more dogs. Yes. Um, I, I know our neighbor's dog had a ton of them around his ears and that's what they say is that's where you got to watch your pets. But now it just seems to be the, uh, you're hearing more and more about it every year and especially related to Lyme disease. Exactly. And with it is uh, the actual odds of you catching Lyme disease from a tick bite is like approximately 1%. So it, it's very, they say that it's in, in like dozens of cases in Canada, like hundreds of thousands in the U.S. and it's migrating north. But, you know, so it's very rare. But the thing is, is the consequences of catching Lyme disease is so severe that it really makes you open your eyes to it. Yeah, it's, I'm just doing some research here. And they say that the tick-borne diseases naturally circulate between ticks and wild animals. Yes. Uh, the animals such as rodents, small mammals, and white-tailed deer. And white-tailed deer seem to be prevalent in, with the ticks. Uh, they're the source of the tick-borne disease-causing agents. And the tick, of course, is the vehicle for, which moves the agents between animals. So if they've got these, you know, a, a, a mouse has um, this, bacterial this, this bacterial infection, then the minute the tick bites it, it takes that bacteria into itself. Mm -hmm. And when it bites you, it passes it on. Exactly. Right? So it's basically, they just transfer these bacterial agents between, between animals. Yes, and it the, the uh, it's not the actual bite; it's the length of time of the bite. So if you are scanning and watching for ticks constantly, and you can remove it, they say that it's thirty-six to forty-eight hours 
of the tick being attached to you that it allows the tick to regurgitate and push the bacteria from its body through its saliva into your body. So if you can get it within 24 hours, the odds are almost zero of you catching Lyme disease. This risk is still there, but if you're if you're out on uh, and uh, on a portage or whatever, then keep an eye out for the ticks. And the key thing is, is it's not going to be a large tick. It's usually the uh, the small young ticks that look like a small mole. It's going to be the size of a poppy seed. There, it may go unnoticed, and they'll generally be discovered in uh, in warm moist areas like your armpits your armpits your groin your belly button behind your ears stuff like that anywhere's where you tend to sweat and is a warmer part of the body and that's where they congregate and that's where they want to feed yeah that's that's the big thing that they're they're saying is where you'll find these things and yeah they gravitate to to the moist warm areas um and try not to get knocked off of course because that's you know they're you're the host now and they want to stay on yes right um, but yeah, if you've got, a, if you're taking your, your dog, you know, on, on a canoe trip, you know, you, you've really got to keep an eye out because they're in the woods, they're in the, the bushes, they're in through the grass. If it's anything like my dog, it's all over the place. Yes. And they're going to bring the ticks back to you. Yeah. And I mean, it's difficult with a black dog to see a little black poppy seed. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, just doing some things here. Back in the day when, you know, like I say, when I was in Saskatchewan, I was, you know, one of the only people I know that ever got one on them. And you really didn't hear a lot about it. And then it started coming out where, you know, Ontario's got them and and BC's got them and Nova Scotia's got them. But now it just seems to be a cross-Canada thing. If you look at the stats, they, every province now has some stat on, on, Cases who, if, if reported cases, if the case is not reported, then the, we're not going to get any stats on it. But it, what we're looking at is reported cases. And the government, uh, provincial governments are tracking this. Yeah, they've got, um, in Manitoba, the government has one webpage uh, that they've been tracking since 2009. Now, in 2009, there were 11 reported cases of Lyme disease, which they attribute to um, uh, tick bites. In 2010, it went from 11 to 18. 2011, it went down to 16. And then 2012, it skyrocketed to 31. You know, I mean, it doubled in a year. And that could be more knowledge of the, of the incidences. So it could be increasing reporting. Yeah. So 2013, it went to 38 from 31. 2014, it went to 46. 2015, it went down to 36. And that could be due to, again, education, knowledge, people are watching for it, and pulling the ticks as soon as possible. Yeah. Now, so, I mean, you look at 2009 where you had 11, and then 2014 at its peak was 46. That's And that's just in Manitoba. And that was just Manitoba. So you figure that's ha- happening all across Canada, all across the states. In Europe. In Europe. Yeah. I mean, that's a, it's, it's become a more well-known now. Um, now there are more types of ticks than just the black-legged tick. Yes. Right. Um, there are several species, but only one species is responsible for spreading tick-borne diseases to humans. As we know so far. As they know so far. And they all, they, they put it all down to the deer tick or the black-legged tick. The black-legged tick. Yeah. So, you know, I recommend everybody watch out for all ticks, but... And I don't know if, for me, if I find a tick on me, I'm not going to sit there and try and, you know, identify what tick it is. It's like, hey, I'm going to get the tick off. But it's the black leg tick that is, is the, the bandit here for spreading Lyme disease. Now, when I had the tick on back of my leg, I remember the, the, the thing was get a little bottle of, um, rubbing alcohol and put it over it. Cause apparently they breathe out their butts and, you know, so now it's going to back out. Because mm-hmm. it's trying to breathe and it thinks it's underwater, so it's going to back out until it finds air. That never happened. But I've also heard that using anything like that may cause the tick to regurgitate. Yeah, I don't know. I, as far as I know, I don't have Lyme disease. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we ended up. What they're saying now is exactly what we ended up doing because it di- it did not work. Mm-hmm. The, the tick just. I said, oh, I'm going to drown, I guess. Yes. And uh, we ended up using a pair of tweezers getting in there and just whoop, 
yeah popping and, it out and they recommend is uh you use a there's a special pair of tweezers but if you use uh was it a five-pointed star yeah, five-pointed star tweezers, tweezers? yeah i've i've got myself a uh, tick key so it's a uh, it's got a small wedge that narrows down to the width of a hair and you just drag it across the tick and the tick gets caught up in that very fine point of the uh, the tick key and it it pulls it out that way but they say if you do use tweezers you have to grab it by the head you don't want to grab the body but you don't want to squeeze it and cause it to regurgitate into the wound where it's bitten you and they don't want you to twist it out because they don't want to leave a piece of the tick behind so it's a very fine pointed tweezers if you have that in your first aid kit in your boat as well. You know, you pull directly out by the head and remove it and then sanitize the area. Uh, soap and water, uh, rubbing alcohol, something to sanitize and clean the area where it was where it had bitten you. Would that be the rubbing alcohol you put over top of it so it would drown? Well, <laughs> well the rubbing alcohol would be after it's removed. <laughs> Just skip a step. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I I remember that being the thing was you want it to come out because you don't want it to leave the head in, Mm -hmm. right? Which would, if you grab it by the body, that's what's going to happen. Yes. It's going to, you know, the head can pop off and, and that's what, that's when all the fun starts. Mm Mm-hmm. Some of the symptoms, like we're, we're just going to go through a list of the, some of the, uh, some of the highlights of what to watch out for and how to respond and what to do. Um, Step one, scream like a girl. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry, but you know what? Like I can handle a bug on me, but having a bug burrowing into you, that's, that's just a, a whole new, that's just a whole new ball game. I, I've never been squeamish about it. I've had leeches on me. It's like, whatever you, you pull it off and this, that, that. Yeah, but that's pulling but, it off, but not digging it out. No, not digging it out. But in, for me, and just in the last couple of years, as I've become aware of Lyme disease, it's like the consequences of catching Lyme disease if it's, especially if it's untreated, if you don't notice it and it progresses, can be very severe. And we'll go through some of those symptoms, some of those consequences later, but some of the initial symptoms, if you do get bit and you have a tick that does manage to hide on you because it's going to look like a small mole, it's or like the size of a poppy seed, so you may not notice, right? So some of the, some of the symptoms is like a, a red rash or bullseye rash, right? And you can't go by that, just that is because up to 50% of people do not show symptoms of this. They would never show a rash. So things like uh, itchy and painful, it's it, like the rash is not itchy or painful. So, and plus, you know, 20, 50% of people don't even show the rash. So other things you got to watch out for is uh, fever, headache, if you're tired. And one of the things that universities across Canada right now, they're developing research programs to look into it, because they're, they're looking and they're examining potential links between Lyme disease, multiple sclerosis, chronic fatigue syndrome, and lupus. They're saying that there might actually be a link between Lyme disease and these. Now, that's just from my research. I don't, I can't guarantee that this is a, a parallel or a direct consequence, but that's what they're currently looking at in universities across Canada. Just to investigate, see... Because we only really discovered Lyme disease in around the mid-70s where the first case, which was in Lyme, Connecticut or something, so it was named after the first case that was discovered. So it's it's one of those things. You, you keep an eye out for the tick primarily. Get it off as soon as possible. And regardless of finding a tick or not finding a tick, watch out for sudden onset of fever, headache, tiredness, any rashes and whatnot. It's going to be around, you know, the your elbows inside of your elbows or your back of your knee or anywhere in place where it's warm and moist on your body right and the consequences of untreated Lyme disease it gets kind of horrifying like uh, you could uh, your face partial pro- this is undiagnosed this is where it progresses beyond before you even treat it right so uh, sometimes the, the symptoms can show up within a day uh, most cases, it's one to two weeks. In 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 radical cases, it could be months or years before you ever show a symptom, and then it's really hard to relate it back to the original tick bite. But uh, they say untreated, it can you end up with uh, paralysis on one half of your face, either side, uh, severe joint pain, severe headaches, neck stiffness, heart palpitations, and this could last over months or years. Uh, I've read about cases where people have had to quit their jobs and. They're bedridden for years at a time, just trying to. And in in Canada, there is a treatment. It's a uh, antibiotic treatment, but 
you're only legally allowed to be treated with antibiotics for 30 days and then they have to stop and we often have to go to extremes and go to the states and pay for expensive treatments uh, antibiotic treatments because the rules in Canada are you can only be on antibiotics for 30 days at a time anyways uh, with treatment there's uh, there's a varying success rates but it's mostly very successful if you catch it early and what you, you know, 10 to 20 percent people will have ongoing joint pain loss of memory or tiredness for about six months and then it progressively goes away if you catch it early and get it treated uh, we already talked about uh, transmission and the timings uh, what they do say is that it is transmitted by the black leg tick. You're not going to catch it from another person. You're not going to catch it from an animal. You're not going to catch it by eating food that's contaminated with this bacteria. It is by the tick, which injects it into the bite site. The one thing I did notice when you're talking about uh, prevention, just getting back to um, animals again, your dog. Okay. They <clears throat> um, say many dogs don't become ill when exposed to tick-borne diseases, uh, some may develop symptoms such as fever, loss of appetite, or joint pain. And that seems to be as far as it goes with the dogs. It's hard to really diagnose that in a dog, too. Yeah, because your dog doesn't tell you, right? Yeah, it's, yeah my dog you, won't talk you, to me. Your dog might seem off. It's like, oh, the dog's tired today. But it's really, it's hard to tell if it, you know, he's getting up off the couch a little slow or hopping up on the couch a little yeah. slow. Yeah, well, I mean, especially if you have an older dog, right, mm -hmm. like mine. Um, but they do have tick control products. Like go to your vet, you can get the tick collars and the creams and stuff like yes. that or topical treatments for pets. But the one thing that they do say now, you know, because you want your buddy protected out there in the, when he's, you know, canoeing with you and whatnot, beware these products, some of these products designed for the dogs will cause severe illness and death in cats. Oh, well, I suppose, you know, you often hear about the fact that you can't give a dog aspirin and there's certain things that animals like a dog can't eat chocolate it'll yeah. it's severely damaging right yep. so if you think about it there's yeah like the physiology of cats and dogs and humans are drastically different yeah um they say removal of the tick within 24 hours prevent uh, protects the pet from infection but there are vaccines to prevent lyme disease and they're also available for dogs and you just contact your vet and they'll tell you tell you about that but yeah you really got to protect yourself now mm -hmm. they were talking uh, DEET and... Perithin? Permethin? Permethin. Permethin. Now, I'm not sure what permethin is. I have to look more into that, but apparently it's a it's a, a cream. And so permethin is added. You can either put it on your clothing to keep the ticks away. If you spread it on your clothing, it'll apparently kill ticks immediately. Or you can spread it on your skin. And it's a, it's a preventative measure. As well as DEET. DEET will prevent ticks from... So you... you I, I often just because of insects, I hate black flies and stuff. I often spray my hats and collar of my shirts and clothes and stuff. I don't like DEET on my skin, so I just spread it liberally on my clothes. I still have a bottle of, I think it was Muscal, 99% DEET. No. From wow. like the 70s or something like that. <laughs> I still got a small bottle of that. It was like 99 cents or something. It was I, like, wow. I, I don't think they can go more than 20% nowadays. Nowadays? Like no, no. So this is... Uh, <laughs> because DEET itself is damaging to the human body. <laughs> yeah, well, this is 99% DEET, you know. Um, but yeah, this permethrin is, uh, permethrin, I guess, permethrin, uh, a synthetic insecticide, um, which is usually used chiefly against disease-carrying insects. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you put it on your clothes and uh, that's what they're a lot of the, these things are saying is you don't necessarily have to put it on your skin. Put it on your clothes. And then it stops to, the... To stop, you yes. know, yeah, to, to repel them sort of thing, right? So, yeah, because especially, you know, I do know a few people that do not like to use bug sprays and stuff when they're on their canoe trips and out for the, you know, yes. out kayaking and stuff. They don't like to use the bug sprays. That's me. And, but, so, yeah, you put this on your clothes. It's not actually on your skin. Yes. And that'll help, uh, that'll help quite a bit. And so that's what, that's, uh, there's a few preventative measures you can use. You know, they say, uh, and this is really hard to do in the in the heat of summer, but I suppose in the shoulder seasons, because the tick season is really from May right till like September or whatever, any time where it's warm and they're breeding. 
So, you know, they say uh, just monitor daily for ticks. And if you are with your kids canoeing, kayaking out in the water, it's a daily thing. Just make a daily habit of, of monitoring your children. Like, oh, looks like he's got a new mole. Wait a sec. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so monitor daily for ticks. Use, de use permethrin to avoid the contact in the first place. Long pants tucked into your socks. Um... When removing ticks, watch if if you have a tick and you remove it and it's full of blood, it's been feeding for a while, and that's one of the that's where it becomes dangerous. Where they they have been feeding and the saliva is going one way, the blood's going the other. So you have to watch out for infection in that case. And they say you can do treatment, but they also say that if you do get bitten by tick, they, the odds of catching Lyme disease is so slim in the first place that early treatment without symptoms is not really going to be a preventative measure because it's so rare to catch Lyme disease anyways. But it, it really depends on how squeamish you are or how cautious you are, right? Yeah. There's actually two other diseases they talk about other than just Lyme, Lyme disease. disease. One is, and I, I don't know if I'm saying this one right, anaplasmosis. And basically five to 21 days after a tick bite, um, fever followed by one or more of the, of chills, headache, muscle aches, joint pain, when this can all be, um, helped with antibiotics, older individuals and those with compromised immune systems can develop more severe illnesses with respiratory complications, um, other infections, neurological complications and kidney failure. Mm -hmm. Right. So this, that's this one. And the other one is, and I know I'm going to get this one wrong, babesiosis, B-A-B-E-S-I-O-S-I-S. Yes. Which, again, is one to six weeks after the bite and or up to six months following transfusion of infected blood products. Oh, um, people infected with this <laughs> develop no symptoms, hmm. which is weird. Um, start with a gradual onset of fatigue, discomfort, followed by chills, sweats, anorexia, headache, weakness, nausea, non-productive cough, joint pain. Severe illness typically requires hospitalization and commonly occurs in individuals with underlying risk factors such as old age, compromised <laughs> immune systems. Uh, okay, now we're just going to scare our yeah. listeners. <laughs> Let's stick to the prevention part. But <laughs> when you go back to these lists of how many of these diseases have been um, confirmed, I mean, we said that from 11 to 46 of the Lyme disease, zero, 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 zero. Mm -hmm. None, no confirmed cases of this. Oh. So... They're just saying, you know, like there are it's more than just Lyme disease, yeah. right? There's these couple other ones out there, but, uh, yeah, you start, you start getting into this and it's like, yeah, you, I don't know if I want to go outside anymore. <laughs> um, one of the other things they're talking about is, which is good on the canoe and kayaking is have a, a bath or a shower afterwards, right? Yes. So at the end of your canoe trip, what do you do? What, I mean... On a nice hot day at the end of the canoe trip, I bring all my gear to the truck. Yeah. I usually jump in the lake for a bath. Go for a swim. Right? I swim. Yeah. And it's perfect. You get down your your bathing suit, jump on in there and have a quick peek around and make yeah. sure there's nothing that you're taking home. Mm-hmm. Because the last thing you want to do is get in your truck with a couple of ticks and they drop off on your seat. Yeah, exactly. Right? I never thought of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think of these things. <laughs> Uh, I guess what we could uh, what we could end this with, or how we could tie this up, is basically watch out for symptoms, and be careful and be ready for early diagnosis. Like, and basically the history of uh, did you get bit by a tick? So you're paying attention for symptoms, and you can test for it, but blood tests are often negative in the early stages, so it's not really a guaranteed way to determine whether you do have Lyme disease. So, you know, you can test for the antibodies, but it's difficult early on. So you're looking for symptoms. You're looking for the redness, the rashes, the bullseye. You're looking for fevers, headaches, tiredness. You're you're paying attention to these throughout the summer because if you get bit by a tick and you miss it, you don't notice it and it feeds and falls off, then, you know, it's uh, you, 
you're just relying on symptoms alone. So it's something to be aware of. Also be aware that it is rare. It is rare. So don't get panicked. Don't let us scare you away from enjoying the outdoors. It's just something to be forearmed is to be forewarned, right? Yeah. And you know what, with the, with the internet nowadays, they're telling you where they're noticing rises in tick populations. Yes. Like, I mean, just by doing some, some looking around here, you know, Hamilton, south of Toronto mm-hmm. and Ottawa, they're having big, big outbreaks. It seems this year. Yes. And uh, so, so, you know, where if you're going to be in those areas, just be vigilant. Yes, you know, exactly. Just keep a peek out. If you're going to be traipsing through the bush, then you know there's a chance that you're going to get a tick on you. Then before you hop back in your vehicle at the end of the day, just take a quick look, you know, shake out your clothes, that sort of stuff. And, and uh, you know, protect yourself. Exactly. Keep an eye out. Keep yourself protected and watch out for the symptoms. So along with keeping an eye out for the turtles. <laughs> keep an eye out for ticks. Keep an eye out for the ticks. <laughs> you are listening to Paddling Adventures Radio on Reno Viola Outdoors. Do you enjoy getting on the water with a paddle in your hand? If so, this show's for you. Listen to Paddling Adventures Radio every Wednesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. and see what's happening in the world of paddle sports. Paddling Adventures Radio, whether you're close to home or far away, grab a paddle and get on the water. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka, and Halliburton. Tents, turtles, and ticks. That's been our our day today. (laughs) Yeah, we we thought it was going to be an animal-based episode, but it turns out to be a tea-based episode. Teas. So, (laughs) talking about ticks on people... And talking about turtles, have you ever seen a turtle in the water, especially a snapping turtle, and something that we, besides ticks that we don't like on us, is, is the leeches. Have you ever seen the leeches on a, on a snapping turtle? I've never have seen. you seen that? Under the arms. Yeah, yeah. The, the leg, the front legs and that, because it can't reach them. I've never thought to look, actually. Yeah. Um... Now I'll have to keep an eye out for them. <laughs> You're going to have to keep an eye out for them. So beyond ticks, people get the ticks and the turtles get the leeches. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you know what? We've, uh, I've seen that. And um, uh, yeah, they, they basically, they can cause some serious damage to the turtle that uh, they get under there because the turtle can't pick them off, right? Yeah. And so it just keeps eating and eating and eating and eating. Getting nice and fat. Yeah. And it's just kind of gross, but uh, harms the turtles. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I've seen that before. And uh, you know what? The the bugs and whatnot on a whole. It's great to get out to nature, but there's some pretty yucky stuff out there. There is. And when it comes to stuff like that, I'm with with my camping. I I almost prefer winter time. If I'm going to go camping, it's going to be a rare occasion. It's going to be some sort of event like the the white partridge trip years ago that I went on. It's I'm not going to go in May, June, July. I'm going to, most of my camping tends to be in the fall. Like you get the horse flies, but the black flies are gone. See, and I always do a Father's Day trip for what, the last 19 years, whatever. Um, and that's June. Mm-hmm. I don't mind the bugs. And, you know, you just start looking. When you start looking at what bugs are out there, there's some pretty nasty looking <laughs> things. But you know what? You leave them alone, they're going to leave you alone. Except they for the black flies, the mosquitoes, <laughs> and you know, that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, you know what? And, and with our kids even, it's just like, you're out there, you're going to get dirty, you're going to get bitten, you're going to get in the muck, you're going to get in with the bugs and everything else. You're just one of the group. <laughs> <laughs> All my kids react so badly to bug bites. Big white welts. Yeah, well, one horrible. of the things I found out, and this was through my brother, he was told by his, uh, his doctor, some of his bug, his mosquito bites are just little tiny, you know, bump, but others ones turn into these massive welts. Yeah. And apparently you can be allergic to certain species of... Oh, yeah? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, that's what his, I don't know if his doctor was BSing them or something, but, uh, you know, apparently that's... 
That's something I'll have to look deal. into. Yeah. We need to do a little bit of research on our friends, the mosquitoes, <laughs> yes. maybe. Yes. And uh, the different bugs that are out there to look into, yeah. to get you. Generally, I avoid them. And it's, you know, if, if DEET alone would keep them away, but I don't like putting stuff like that on my skin. No. So it just comes right down to the fact that I, it's either the fall, nice, decent fall trips or winter trips when there's no bugs. So just one quick question here. Mm-hmm. Do you mind the bugs as long as they're not on you? Oh, if they're, if they don't bite me, then I don't care. Well, I'm not talking about biting, just being on you. Yeah, I don't mind them being on me, just as long yeah. as they're not biting. Yeah. Yuck. <laughs> bugs don't bother me, it's the biting. <laughs> okay, as we approach the uh, end of our 13th episode, I guess we should share some upcoming events. May 12th through 14th is the North Bay Camp and Cottage Show. It's at the Northgate Shopping Center. Check out the Tomogamy Outfitting Company and get some great advice on canoe tripping in the Tomogamy region. Up and coming is the Real Paddling Film Festival, which may be coming to a location near you. It's going to be in Sudbury, Ontario on May 12th. It'll also be in Dryden, Ontario on May 12th. In Squamish, BC on May 18th. Duluth, Minnesota on May 20th. Milwaukee, Wisconsin on May 21st. And Huntsville, Ontario on June 3rd. At the Huntsville location, Sean from Paddling Adventures Radio will be there with the hosts of the night, Algonquin Outfitters. Check out realpaddlingfilmfestival.com for times and locations. You've been listening to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time.